Hello and welcome to the Thrive Health and Wellbeing Podcast. In the fourth episode of this series, we're turning our attention to Australia's largest health education provider, the La Trobe University Rural Health School. To learn more about it, we chatted to two lecturers from the Rural Health School's Allied Health Division, in Dr. Rodrigo Binney and Dr. Jaden Hunter, who are both based at La Trobe's Bendigo campus and specialise in exercise physiology. Throughout this pod, Rodrigo and Jaden take us through some of the fantastic research being conducted at the La Trobe Rural Health School and some of the opportunities that are being provided to regionally based students. We also learn more about how physical activity and exercise supervision programs can improve productivity in the workplace and investigate some of the strategies that can be adopted to assist with the pain often associated with cycling. This podcast is a resource that has been created by the Latrobe community for the Latrobe community, and we hope that you get plenty out of it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on the platform where you get your favorite audio podcasts. Now, let's get into the show. So I'm Dr. Jaden Hunter and I'm a lecturer in exercise physiology at Latrobe Rural Health School, Latrobe University. Yeah, so my name is Rodrigo Bini, so I'm a um, senior lecturer here at the Rural Health School uh, in Bendigo. Meet Jaden Hunter and Rodrigo Bini, lecturers at the Latrobe Rural Health School based on the Bendigo campus. The Latrobe University Rural Health School is the largest of its type in Australia. The school has over 3,000 students enrolled across 11 disciplines at Latrobe's regional campuses of Albury-Wodonga, Bendigo, Mildura and Shepparton. In Jaden and Rodrigo's case, they are both experienced lecturers in the discipline of exercise science. Rodrigo is a trained biomechanist and has had extensive experience as a research associate in both Brazil and New Zealand before arriving at Latrobe in 2016. He teaches biomechanics and research methods subjects in the Bachelor of Exercise Science course, and his research interests involve biomechanics of exercise and sports with special attention to cycling and running. Jaden, on the other hand, is a lecturer in clinical exercise physiology. He has developed, implemented, and evaluated exercise interventions to improve the health and well-being of both clinical and non-clinical populations, and presented his findings at national and international conferences. So with that level of expertise in the field of exercise science, I couldn't wait to find out about some of the research projects both Jaden and Rodrigo had been working on. But first, I wanted to find out a little bit more about the Latrobe Rural Health School and the opportunities that it provides students based in Victorian regional areas. The Rural Health School covers four campuses, so it has a footprint larger here in Bendigo, but it does have uh, courses that is uh, delivered in Mildura and Albury Wodonga as well. So it really spreads across and Shepparton. So it covers the four regional campuses. Um, in terms of number of disciplines, look, really looking at a reasonable number. I won't try to guess how many, but we're really looking at all of the allied health plus nursing plus public health plus a bit of us, because even though exercise physiology is allied health, exercise science isn't pretty. Um, and now with the with potential um, absorption of new disciplines from the university restructure, the rural health school is really going to grow 
um, substantially. So, um, and I think he's probably one of the key players in the Vanderbilt campus, to be, to be fair. Um, and then that extends to the research spectrum as well. So um, it covers a wide range, but clearly uh, with the intention to trying to understand and contribute with the health and well-being in rural and regional Victoria, largely. So I think that's, and then that's really my view from what I see things. When it comes to exercise physiology in particular, our, we try to place our students, um, they do three um, exercise physiology placements throughout their master's program and we try to place them at least two of those in, in regional and rural settings and one metropolitan um, just so then they get the experience of working with different demographics and, and, and the different people. So I think that's um, a great experience for them and they certainly come back and, and then the feedback from the students is that they did have vastly different experiences in those settings. I've done some research um, with um, New South Wales Ambulance and that paramedic service and travelled to many of their um, rural and remote locations and it was just really interesting to, to see what happens in those stations and the type of work that they have to do and the, the structure of it compared to the metropolitan base stations in Sydney. It was vastly different even though they're the same service. So um, yeah, it definitely highlighted to me that um, we've got um, slightly different, I guess, challenges in these different locations for different reasons and therefore they probably require different solutions to, to address them. So we've heard about the rural health school's impact on students. But what about its impact on the regional communities that they are based in? Yeah, I think, um, you know, our directive here at the rural health school is, is really to um, look, look into ways that we can um, improve some of the major risk factors about people that live in rural and remote um, areas um, of Australia and, and the data clearly shows that they do have um, different risks and tend to have higher rates of chronic disease associated with that. So, um, so that's a, a focus of my particular research and how we can um, you know, best deliver programs to those people who perhaps don't have the same opportunities as those living in metropolitan areas. So, um, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a focus going forward and hopefully, um, yeah, we can yeah, provide some, some good resources and, and opportunities for those people. Uh, well, I think probably for us within the discipline of exercise science and physiology, I think one of the things that is quite critical is trying to bring... Uh, exercise and sport as well as uh, as modalities to trying to do exactly what Jaden was saying to trying to help people to improve their health and well-being status because we really understand that sport is a very key player on that particularly when we think about recreational levels to get people to adhere to a form of exercise sport can be a really great way to actually do that because otherwise and I think it goes into the myth busts as well that we tend to think that if I don't go to a gym, I'm not exercising properly. Um, that's probably not true. It would be great if people at least did twice a week on a gym to get their resistance training done. But the other part of the um, uh, physical activity has to come from somewhere else. And if it comes from sport, it's great because at least they, they accumulate in the levels of physical activity that they need to become healthy. And I think that's where we're probably um, doing some work as well in order to ensure that in regional Victoria particularly, that that opportunity to support is available um, with support from uh, experts to help them perform properly. So with those key aims in mind, 
let's delve into some of the studies and research projects that both Jaden and Rodrigo have been involved with recently. As we are all aware of by now, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way many of us will work and exercise forever. So I asked Jaden about the research he and a team of researchers from Latrobe, in conjunction with the University of Auckland and the University of Notre Dame, Australia, have been doing around the impact of physical activity on work productivity, sleeping habits and well-being during and after COVID-19. Yeah, sure. So uh, this study um, builds on previous research that has looked at uh, worker productivity and their physical activity and exercise habits. And um, and some of the work that's been done overseas sort of suggests that those who um, are more physically active and to, to a certain extent have uh, higher levels of, of fitness and, and strength um, tend to be more um, productive. And that's across various occupation groups, not just those with um, physically demanding jobs, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and that's um, that includes studies that are just cross-sectional in nature, but also a few trials, so randomised controlled trials have been done um, in Europe primarily they've, they've found um, with increases in fitness and strength from workplace exercise programs, um, self-reported employee productivity has actually gone up um, and absenteeism, so sick leave and, and that has gone down. And these are trials over up, up to 12 months. So I thought that was really interesting given my, um, my background interest in um, workplace exercise programs, employee health and wellbeing. So I wanted to investigate that a bit Further, with a, a survey last year that we um, administered from June to August, which was um, during um, pretty heavy lockdowns here in Victoria, and um, that survey was available Australia-wide and, and even in New Zealand as well. So, um, yeah, we, look, we've um, analysed the data and we haven't published it yet, but um, yeah, I was I was pleased to see um, the findings sort of confirming our um, our hypotheses there. So I look forward to that one coming out and and um, yeah, publishing those results. What about those people who have lived in areas of the world who have been subject to prolonged or repeated lockdowns, such as what's happened in Victoria over the past year and a half? Is there any indication that in these unprecedented times that there may be some long-term implications on people's behaviours around exercise Work productivity, sleep, and their general well-being. Yeah, yeah, great question, and and um, it certainly is an ongoing study. So we did a follow-up survey six months after the original one, so over sort of December, January, and um, we've just um, done the follow-up survey for twelve months now as well. So people are currently filling filling that one out for us. So and we haven't looked at that data yet, the six and twelve month follow-up. So it will be really interesting to see how these patterns perhaps change over time and we'll continue to do those follow-ups. So we've talked about the benefits of physical activity on productivity in the workplace, but I wanted to drill down a little bit further into the effect of exercise supervision in the workplace on employee health and fitness. Given he has written a thesis on the subject, I asked Jaden what sort of impact exercise supervision had on employees' general health versus being left to their own devices. Yeah, so my research questions around um, the different types of exercise supervision, I guess, came from uh, the data in the, the clinical space where often um, we deliver exercise in a, a carefully supervised manner to people with various um, clinical conditions and we want to see if the benefits, you know, are reflected in otherwise healthy populations who perhaps are um, not as active as they would like to be and maybe some of the barriers to that are the fact that they're not really sure about 
the safest and most appropriate way to exercise. So, um, yeah, we sort of reflected that model in our work in um, office staff in throughout my PhD and offered uh, one-on-one and various sized group sort of supervision situations to look at the effects of, of offering that supervision where versus people who just got a, a program to, to do, um, you know, at their own at their own leisure basically so um, yeah we, we ran a couple of trials and definitely the supervision tended to boost um, adherence to the exercise program um, over the, the four-month period from my main intervention and that was um, re, you know nicely reflected in the greater improvements in um, vo2 max or cardiorespiratory fitness and um, maximal strength which we assessed through you know one rm upper and lower body strength testing we, we did some dexa scans to look at body composition and had some nice improvements in um in um, lean muscle mass and reductions in body fat um and we we delivered a bunch of sort of psychosocial well-being surveys um as well so yeah look i've published these results in a few different studies and presented a few conferences and definitely um having that that, that supervision and that real individual level sort of attention and individually tailored programs um definitely um yeah, improved as i said adherence and, and the positive outcomes for, for those workers anyway One of the great ways for people to get back into exercise is through cycling. Bikes are not that expensive, they're faster than walking and provide an opportunity for us to explore our natural environment, all of which contributes to mental and physical health. But for those who have jumped on a bike after a prolonged period away from cycling, they will be aware of how stiff and sore you can feel after your first ride back. So I asked Rodrigo about some of the strategies people can adopt to assist with the pain often associated with getting back on the bike. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because we really started to um, work on that project probably in the early portion of the uh, first last year, so early portion of the pandemic really, with the intention to trying to determine um, particularly patterns in terms of people that feel pain, what what, what's going wrong with them? Um, do they have a bike setup that is not appropriate or do they have the proper levels of physical fitness? Obviously, we were constrained in terms of, um, of the lockdowns. We couldn't actually get people on the lab, so we had to come up with a remote form of assessment of those cyclists. Uh, we did a bit of an iteration last year collecting some data and we really looked at from the data, the preliminary data that we collected last year was not too much around the physical fitness or the sample that uh, engaged on the project with us. They had probably sufficient levels of general markers of physical fitness, um, but a good proportion of that, I can't quite remember from the top of my head, but substantial numbers were cycling with pain. So they were still training, sustaining reasonable volumes of training, but they were reporting either back pain or knee pain or something along those lines. And a proportion of them were with probably inappropriate uh, sort of bike setup. So there was an element of bike fitting there that could be improved and we provided them feedback, individualized feedback to trying to help them on the way through. So that was sort of the first iteration that we ran. Now we're actually working on on a project where we try to look at can we then assess these cyclists uh, without proper supervision? So trying to see if we give them detailed instructions on a, a series of physical fitness tests 
Are they able to reproduce the same outcomes as if they were supervised? So that's the current iteration of the project. Seems a little a bit of working backwards, but it helps us to try to understand if the data that we collected last year is really, really reflective on what the, what the uh, physical status of those cyclists were at that point in time which then would allow us to say, yeah, we probably can administer some of those physical fitness tests without massive levels of supervision and then trying to work with cyclists in a via distance, which was great. We've had lots of people coming forward and say, look, I, I really want to participate because it's relatively easy. They can log in on a Zoom meeting and then we can talk to them and do some testings with them and all of that. But obviously having the time commitment of spending an hour or an hour and a half with a cyclist going through a battery of tests would be challenging. So we're trying to see what's the absolute minimum that we can do in order to, and even they, they record videos of themselves on the bike and we analyze that to provide them feedback as well. So that's where, uh, and obviously the intention and moving forward is trying to determine if we then uh, provide levels of intervention either on their bike fit or on their fitness levels, would those interventions actually be helpful to reduce the um, um, sort of incidence of pain and injuries, if you like? And then obviously hoping that this will reflect in more people remaining cycling over time. How important is it to have a proper bike fitting? What are some of the things people should be aware of if they're looking to get involved in cycling and they are purchasing a new bike? Yeah, I think, look, I think that there are various ways to bike fit and obviously there's the very simple bike fit and there's the very comprehensive bike fit but any bike fit is better than non-bike fit which is probably just to get people out of their very awkward position um, but obviously there are parts of the bike and if you look at the, the the parts of the bike that you can really manipulate the saddle height is the critical one is really the one that any bike can go up and off by a very large magnitude so if you get there right you're probably halfway through and then you can tweak the other parts in order to get yourself into a reasonable level of comfort. Um, but obviously that would depend a lot of what you're trying to achieve. If you're going to work on the bike, then you probably need a given position. If you're trying to um, do triathlons, you probably need a different setup. Um, so that's going to vary substantially. But um, if you don't do anything and you just grab someone else's bike and go for a ride, that's where you are probably at greater risk of over time developing injuries and, and then become unable to cycle or do any other exercise really. So yeah. Um, I think the bike fitting is one space that we're still struggling a little bit with um, how much is sufficient and how much is probably just um, something that doesn't really add up too much. Uh, and as I said before, I think any bike fitting is better than no bike fitting, but sometimes I think we get a bit fancy with things, which means uh, probably we're going down to the millimeter level, which, look, there is no hard evidence to show that really, really helps a lot. But obviously, it doesn't mean that it doesn't, but we just don't have the evidence just yet. So I think when you go for bike fitting, just trying to make sure that um, you're really clear what you're trying to achieve and what you're getting back from the service. Um, because as I said, the numerous space in every, if you go to three shops or three, clinicians or three bike fitters, you get three completely different experiences. So you just have to be mindful while you're getting out of that, to be honest. It's probably, yeah, my piece of advice. What else can be done to reduce pain while riding? Can people incorporate some strength and flexibility exercises 
as part of a regular bike training program? Yeah, I think that's a good question because I think from experience, really, we try, we tend to see cyclists really just cycling. They go on a bike and yeah, that's it. I'm accumulating sufficient volumes of um, exercise and um, I feel you're right and then all of that. But then sometimes you assess people with reasonably large volumes of cycling training with, um, with weaknesses in their physical fitness elements. Um, which then really mean that they probably can benefit out of that. And once they engage in some level of exercise, and we haven't really done that just yet, but they clearly observe benefits in their cycling performance. That has been clearly done in cyclists and in triathletes, particularly when um, triathletes started to reduce a portion of their triathlon training, which is quite tricky, really. They have to work around running and swimming and cycling. But when they started to substitute part of that by resisted exercise, they observed improvements in performance. So there is research on that already. Uh, But in recreational level, that's something that we don't yet know whether, and it probably does make make a difference, right? It should improve them to cycle better and reduce the risk of injuries. But we just need the hard data to actually demonstrate that in order to convince the book of cyclists that they shouldn't be only cyclists, they should try to do something else rather than just going on a bike. Thanks for listening in to our chat with Dr. Rodrigo Bini and Dr. Jaden Hunter. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and learnt plenty from it. If you would like to learn more about the Latrobe Rural Health School or about any of the research projects discussed in this episode, please check out the links down in the description. Speaking of exciting initiatives happening at Latrobe's regional campuses, Latrobe Sport is pleased to announce the opening of the Bendigo Sports Centre Gym from Monday, August 9. To celebrate the launch of the new regional health and fitness facility on the Bendigo campus, Latrobe Sport is offering some exciting opening deals and discounts for students, staff and members of the general public, which you can find in the links down in the description. And finally, if you did enjoy this episode of the Thrive Health and Wellbeing podcast, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe on the platform where you get your favourite audio podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next month.